I'm Diana, and I love printing and design, typography and branding, books and publishing. I've traveled the world learning about trends to share with my students and with my readers. But I haven't forgotten where I started, writing papers about paper on paper. And now, I've created a podcast to share what I know with you. So, let's talk paper scissors. It's been just about a year since I released my last magazine mini-series. In 2021, I taught the course Magazine Production and Publishing at Toronto Metropolitan University twice, once in the spring term and once in the summer. During each of these course offerings, our class hosted three guests each for a total of six guests who spoke about the business of magazines, the design of magazines, and the production of magazines. I recorded these live conversations in our virtual classroom, and I later produced them as podcast episodes. If you're interested in hearing them, they are episodes 55, 56, and 57, as well as 63, 64, and 65. I had the distinct pleasure of teaching this course again in spring 2022, and we hosted three brand new guests to chat about their experiences in the magazine world. First up is Greg Davis, publisher of Melanistic Magazine, based in Edmonton, Alberta. Next is Lanelle Selbo, publisher and designer of Life Olay Magazine in Prince Edward County, Ontario. Lastly, we will chat with Steph Beveridge, account manager at Hemlock Printers in Vancouver, British Columbia. From one side of the country to the other and back again, virtual teaching space afforded us the opportunity to chat with individuals across three provinces. And the connection I'm just now realizing exists between all three guests is that they each at one time lived and worked in Toronto. Cool. Let's dive into this first conversation with Greg Davis of Melanistic Magazine, an urban lifestyle publication focusing on issues important to the Black community in Edmonton and beyond. In this talk, he describes how communicating a consistent and authentic voice that speaks to the nature of the magazine is what's most important, versus trying to please everyone. Greg explains what a publisher of a magazine is responsible for. He describes typical and creative revenue models for both small and large publications, as well as why he believes the magazine industry is stronger now than it was before the pandemic. Okay, so just before we get into this episode, uh, the universe is up to something these days. Let me tell you the weirdest thing that happened, also the coolest thing that happened. So I was preparing this episode. I actually had the file all ready to go. This audio track was done. It was set. And I had already uploaded it, ready to be published. And then I jumped on to Greg Davis's LinkedIn. And on his LinkedIn, he had a message about reading their newest volume. Volume 10, it's released. Go check it out. So I go to check it out, and I notice the face on the cover of the magazine is my very best friend from my master's program who lives in Edmonton. So Gail Wilson is on the cover of the magazine. There's a whole long spread about she and her partner's love story, and I can't get over how 
odd, how strange, how cool this connection is between the conversation you're about to hear and my master's degree and my friend, and it's all coming together. All right, that's it. Thanks, universe. Let's get into this. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I am not too bad. Just uh, staying warm and dry here out in the north. <laughs> so where are you right now, Greg? Maybe tell everyone where you are and the, the temperature you told me it is. Oh, well, it's I'm in Edmonton right now. Um, today it was a balmy minus two. And uh, we had a little bit of snowfall this morning. Uh. <laughs> like a little spring snow. Yuck. Yuck. Yeah, it was uh, 22 and uh, sunny just north of Toronto here. But yeah, we won't. I won't rub it in. I won't rub yeah, it in. Yeah, no, that's okay. Just the warm weather in. will come. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to just maybe start by asking uh, the question, who is Greg Davis in a nutshell? In a nutshell? Um, <clears throat> well, I was once described by um, a really good friend of mine in Japan as a Jamaican who found himself in Toronto that got lost in Tokyo. And that's always been the description I use of myself as kind of a perfect little <laughs> summary of, of kind of my life from Jamaica to, to Tokyo and now back here in Edmonton. Amazing. So what were you doing in Tokyo? <laughs> I'm curious. Um, well, originally I went there to teach English. Um, and then um, I kind of got bored of the, the teaching English scene and um, uh, got hired to work for a uh, local bilingual travel magazine called Outdoor Japan. And so I was the um, sales and marketing manager uh, for that magazine for about four, four or five years. Yeah. So you kind of fell into the world of publishing by accident. Yeah, pretty much by accident. Um, I saw the job opening. I applied. It was either I got the job or I was going to leave Japan. Um, and so they um, they hired me um, and haven't looked back since. Amazing. Awesome. So I, I'd love to hear more about um, Melanistic Magazine and kind of why it's an important publication that you've created. Uh, well, Melanistic um is the the brainchild of one of my business partners, uh, Nigel Williams. Um, Nigel, he is the head of public relations for the National Black Coalition of Canada here in Edmonton. And they have an annual Black History Month booklet that they do. And he wanted to revamp um, that book, um, but he wasn't quite sure how to, to do it, how to approach it. And, um, we both kind of, we never met at the time, um, but we both enrolled in the same circles. And um, we were by chance at the Friends of Barbados Independence Dinner, same time. And um, one of our friends, uh, Lisa, she made sure that we <laughs> met up. And um, from there, um, he found out that I was in the world of publishing. Um, at that time, I was the director of sales and marketing for Wear Edmonton Magazine. And um, we met up in my office. I kind of gave him my feedback on the booklet and how I would change it. And uh, from there, we, uh, we pitched the idea to the Black Coalition of Canada. They um, turned down the idea on the proposal. And we decided to just do it ourselves. <laughs> 
at that point. It's like we had a, a proposal, we had a plan, we had a, a whole net expertise system in place. And um, we, we built a team that was able to execute on what the vision of Melanistic is. And so there's myself, Nigel, um, Nilo, Robert, um, and then as the four founders officially, um, then there's our editor, Tanya, and our uh, design director, Joab. And what kind of articles or content goes into Melanistic? Um, Melanistic is very story-driven. Um, it's, it's a little bit different than what most um, Black community magazines do in Canada, where they mostly focus on spotlights on, on individuals. Um, we don't do spotlights on, on individuals because there are only so many people you can talk about <laughs> and then it gets repetitive and boring. Um, so we focus on the, the issues that are um, important to the Black community. Um, we take it from the standpoint of an urban lifestyle um, perspective because we are an urban lifestyle magazine. So we talk about you know travel, health and wellness, um, business, history, arts and culture. Um, our most popular column is uh, uh, a comic strip called "Dating While Black." <laughs> you know, um, and so we 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 tell these different stories from the lens of the the black community. And you've kind of alluded to this already, but like, what what role does storytelling play in your magazine? Like, what can you maybe expand a little bit more on? The, the choices you make as it relates to storytelling? Um, the, the stories are a huge part um, of what we do um, because we, we try to, to tackle topics that a lot of people, you don't see them in mainstream magazines, so to speak, um, but are important issues to, to who we are as a community. So, you know, for example, um, you'll see the photo here um, uh, from Melanistic Volume 8 that was, um, you know, black and white. This one was about talking about our kids in the Black community. And so we, we focused on different issues um, that relates to, you know, as a parent, what do you do if your child is in this particular situation? Well, we know that different, you know, cultural groups have different experiences when it comes to raising their children and parenting. Um, parenting is different in Africa, in India, in the Caribbean, <laughs> in Europe, you know, um, so we, we tackle those topics, you know, this one here, Melanis and fitness, why is it good to get your kids in sports? You know, um, so th those are like kind of stories that, you know, people we found want to engage with, um, gives people something to talk about. Uh, we have readers that um, come at us all the time <laughs> to, to take us to task. You said this in this story. I don't agree with that particular point. And that's totally fine um, because we want to stimulate that conversation. But also when we're, we're, we're laying out the magazine and, and looking at the stories, uh, we're very conscious that this magazine is not just being read by members of the Black community. We have readers from all spectrums, all communities across the board, and that's something that we're super proud of. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think it's interesting something you said there in that you get 
feedback from the community to say, I don't agree with that. Mm. And I think that perhaps is is uh, a big part of being a publisher is that a magazine is a point of view. A magazine has takes a stance on on the world and you're never, ever going to please everybody. No, you're never going to. Um, you should never try to. Um, all you can do is um, make sure that what you're putting out is consistent and authentic to the nature of the magazine and what you're trying to get out there as a message. Yeah. And I think that's perfect advice because it's, I mean, even in my my little world of teaching, I know that my style, my content, my whatever is yeah. never going to please everybody, but I have to stay true to kind of what I know and what I believe to be the best thing for the group of students in front of me. Yeah. And, and what happens in the publishing world is um, people respect the consistency and the voice that you're putting out there. Um, so, you know, we have had the honor of being the, the first um, black media to be accepted as members of the Publishing Association of Alberta. Mm. Um, you know, we also were the first to be nominated for magazine of the year. So we okay. actually were nominated for three awards in 2020. Um, and now we're currently waiting to hear if we get nominated for anything for 2021. So it's, um, you know, so people respect the, the position as long as it's consistent. Um, and it's something that, you know, engages with conversation with people and relevant to people's lives. Yeah. Congrats. That's that's awesome. That's huge. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I really I'm curious to know, though, what does the day in the life of a magazine publisher look like? What what do you do on a given day to make the magazine happen? There are not enough hours. <laughs> in the day um essentially as a publisher um you control the system of how the magazine gets out so dealing with writers photographers the designers the editor um dealing with printers distribution um any kind of a special um special uh, support that you might need for a story so for example, you know, last summer we did a big trip to Jasper. So coordinating hotels and trip operators and timing and how we're going to get people there and who's going to go, and, um, you know, and it, it never, it never ends. You essentially, um, the magazine is your life. Um, and if you're, you know, if you're not prepared for it to be your life 24 sevens, then you probably shouldn't be a publisher because, you know, it, everything, everything around your life is going to be tailored to making sure this magazine is the top, the best quality and gets out the door uh, when it needs to. Yeah. It's kind of like your baby. Like it's, it is. You it can't is let much. the toddler stray too far. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Or, or yeah. havoc will be, uh, <laughs> havoc yeah, will, you, will you, come you, upon you. Yeah. You've got to keep everybody kind of in line and then check along the team, making sure that, especially if with Melanistic, when we started, I was the only one that had any experience in media and publishing. So then it was teaching the team members, this is how I want it to be done. And this is why I want it to be done. Um, sometimes I let them fail and get a little tough love, but some of those lessons are kind of needed for the, the team to kind of learn and evolve and grow. 
And what are some of the greatest joys, but also some of the greatest challenges of the job of, of magazine publisher? Um, every time you get the call from the printer that the magazine is off press and you, um, you, you get that box and you just, you open it for the first time to see it off press. Um, that's always, it's always special for me. It's always new because it's a new magazine, new look, new feel. Um, and I always, I'm like, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. Let's get it off the printer. (laughs) Um, so that's, that's, that's always a, 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 a great joy to see. Um, biggest challenge um, is is really more, you know, how do we keep it going financially through advertising? Because um, that's the that's the lifeblood of of any media. Um, you need that kind of advertising revenue in order to publish, and so that's how do you hit those goals and how do you get that revenue in that allows you to to get the magazine out the door. And are you typically the one who is selling the ad space or do you have a team member who helps do that? Uh, right now, I'm the one that typically does it. Um, I am always trying to find somebody that I could train to sell, uh, but it's 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 not for everyone, the selling of, of media. So it's, it's an ongoing process. Hopefully the goal for me is to one day have a team that's, all they do is sell and I can step back from that and focus on other things. And that kind of dovetails into my next question, which is all about kind of the revenue model of a magazine. Mm. And, and you talked about advertising dollars being the lifeblood of any sort of media or publication, but do you see the revenue model changing at all? Um, in magazine publishing, are you able to, for example, uh, are subscriptions able to to uh, draw in revenue? Are there events maybe that you're putting on that, like what what do you see perhaps through the lens of Melanistic, but also more broadly in publishing? Is that revenue model changing? Um, the revenue model varies depending on where you are in Canada. So um, when you're on the East Coast, Primarily Toronto, Montreal, Quebec City. Um, subscription model magazines do far better than on the West Coast. Hmm. Um, the West Coast is more um, free pickup, controlled circulation. Um, whereas when you're in Toronto, um, all the big titles, subscription is a big part of their revenue, um, along with advertising. Uh, to go with it. Um, the smaller, more um, vertical, more eclectic magazines like Melanistic, um, we tend to also have different ways of bringing in funds into the magazine that's a little bit beyond just advertising. So, um, for example, we have a new expedition um, line that we're going to be launching in the next few months where you know we work at Toys and Boards, um, they pay us a certain amount of money. We go into their area. We capture content. We curate that content. We turn that content out. Um, we make some revenue on it on the back end. But then the client gets, you know, hours of footage and photography and stories um, related to experiencing their destination. Hmm. So, you know, um, you'll find like a lot of the smaller titles coming up with creative ways like that to 
add more value and more revenue into into their their publications. The bigger bigger magazines are um, that have been around for a long time. There's a straight ad subscription, ad subscription, <laughs> and that boat doesn't really turn much. Yeah, and and that makes that's so interesting. Um, was that a concept that you kind of pushed for or created for this magazine? Have you seen it done elsewhere? The um, yeah, um, when I was in um, in Toronto, I worked for Outpost magazine, um, and Outpost um, is the the largest Canadian made adventure travel title, um, but it's nowhere near kind of like the. Uh, fashion magazine Toronto Life and those bigger names are. Um, and so at Outpost, uh, we have, there was an exhibition line and that's exactly the model um, that we did. The model has changed and evolved over the years, but it's one of those things where you come up with these creative ways to, how do you capture content for the magazine that's interesting and authentic to the publication, but doesn't cost you money and also allows you to make something uh, from it, revenue wise. So creative. And I think that's such a great idea and like win win for everybody. Oh, it is totally win for everyone. Yeah. Interesting. So, do you believe uh, that social media kind of mm -hmm. complements or does it compete with traditional magazine media? Any thoughts there? Um, first thing I'll say to that is most people don't understand how social media should be used or can be used. Um, most of us just think it's a, I'll just take a selfie, put a selfie up, hope it goes viral, <laughs> call it a day. Um, the reality is 99% of us will never ever have a viral post. <laughs> we just won't, right? Um, and then there are a lot of people that have bought into the, the hype of, um, print is dead and social media is where it's at. Um, truth of the matter is print is not dead. Um, the yellow pages might be, but magazines are still doing just fine, <laughs> right, in Canada. And social media, um, when you look at the big um, titles, um, social media complements um, the publications but the foundation of the media is the print. Everything flows from there, as opposed to starting with social and flowing to everything else. So in order for social media to be effective, you need that solid foundation of where is your content coming from? Where is your reputation being built? Where is your respect coming from? And then that allows your social media to really flourish and have some, some gravitas to it music to my ears. Listen, you know that that print is my uh, my bread and butter, my kind of stomping grounds. And oh, yeah. I, ab I absolutely agree that print lends itself. Having a physical printed magazine provides auth authenticity and that reputation that you spoke of and just kind of gives magazine like some literal weight <laughs> to it. And yeah, it, it's val it validates everything mm -hmm. because, um, you know, you know, the last five years, um, the, the Orange Avenger in the South um, was going on about fake news, fake news, fake news. And everyone kind of jumped on the bandwagon, but no one really understood what that meant. <laughs> um, and it, it, for me as a media person, it pisses me off every time someone says it, 
because it's like you have, unless you've been in a media room, you have no idea how much work goes in to, especially on print media, more so than television or radio, um, to make sure that you get a story right. Because you can't get it wrong, because once it's in print, you can't take it back. <laughs> um, and so um, the, the, the painstaking effort that goes into making sure that you get something right um, allows us to allows the reader to understand that once it's printed and you feel that physical magazine, this has been vetted, this has been edited, you know, this is as truthful a story as they could possibly have gotten to publish and put out there into the marketplace. Right. Because as you say, you can't really just take it back. Once it's in print, it's out there in the world. I mean, if yeah. it lives digitally, if it lives on a magazine's website or something, it could go back and be corrected if there was something that needed to be. Exactly. But I mean, in print, it needs to be right the first time. And yes, there are there are little details that can um, that that a publisher potentially can get wrong. But by and large, there is a heck of a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to to ensure the validity of. Each yeah. And, and occasionally, like you, you will make the occasional mistake, but it's not it's never malicious mistakes. It's usually an innocent. Oh, we misspelled the name or. Uh, or there's a typo on the date, or <laughs> you know, um, you know, there's no deliberate action in the world of magazines in general to mislead anyone, um, because the magazines, especially vertical magazines, are about information. They're about lifestyle, you know. So it's you know, picking up the journal, which is news, or the Sun, which is news. Those are news, and they're still kind of skewed in a certain way to tell a message but home and garden magazine <laughs> they're just talking about gardening <laughs> right and, home. and homes <laughs> yeah and home <laughs> and so the people that pick it up are picking it picking it up to hear about the latest trend in gardening and home renovation <laughs> you know so you know they work hard to get that information right you know with um, something like Outpost Magazine, you know, you pick it up because you're interested in travel. So, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into making sure that the information about the destinations is correct because otherwise your readers might get in trouble if they get the wrong information about a destination. You know, so, so magazines, you know, Cowboy Country is the same thing, you know, people that are picking up or um, live that cowboy lifestyle. You know, they, you have to make sure that when you're talking about cattle and, and you know, horses, you know, horse, your horses and, um, you know, uh, rehabilitation for your, your animals and equipment and gear. It's got to be correct information. You know, otherwise, you know, the people that are picking it up that are into that lifestyle will hold you to task on that. And who ultimately does that responsibility fall to? Is that you, the publisher? Is it the editor? Is it who, who is responsible for the content at the end of the day? Uh, um, ultimately, it's between the editor and the publisher. Um, the publisher has ultimate responsibility for everything. Um, but it's, it's in order for me to do my job as best I can, I need to make sure that I have 100% faith and confidence in what my editor is doing. Um, cause I'm not going to micromanage my editor. No one wants to micromanage an editor. <laughs> Editors, they have their own process that they go through and do things. And, 
Um, at Melanistic, we have a fantastic editor. Um, her and I are on the same page with everything. Um, and so, you know, I'm never worried about anything that comes off her desk. So there has to be that relationship too and that trust that is built within the team in order to, for all of the pieces to fit together. And yeah, yeah. And, 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 and a lot of that takes time to build. Um, but once you have that, that trust that you know, um, for example, Nilo is our director of photography. Um, I know that Nilo is going to give us the best possible photos for any given article at any given point in time. I don't have to question it because <laughs> I know what she's going to deliver. Joanne, on the design side of things, I know at the end of the day, when the magazine comes out, it's going to be fantastic. I don't have to micromanage and nitpick and, and question what you know she's doing. Same thing with Tanya, same thing with Nigel. Yeah, it's so nice to have a team that, that works, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's great. Yeah, but I mean, within each other, the team, you know, we we argue, we fight <laughs> every issue. Um, but it's it's just a it's the process of getting something right. You know, we'll we'll look at the first draft and no, nah, that doesn't look that great. We don't really like the direction of that color scheme. You know, the layout looks a bit weird. Uh, the wording looks a bit weird. We need to change these different points, and we go back and forth um, just to make sure that at the end of the day we get it right. And that's exactly it, that kind of creative conflict or that ability to speak openly and listen to one another and take feedback and move forward, I think is such is is a if you can do that in a healthy way, that is what makes for a healthy team. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're yeah. brutally honest. We, <laughs> we have zero filters in our meeting. <laughs> So I'm really curious to know, Greg, kind of a, as a, a final question on my end, and for anyone uh, who's here in our class with us today, if you've got some questions that you're thinking of, please uh, start to add them into the chat now by all means, and we'll get to those as well. But my final question for you, Greg, has to do with kind of future predictions for where the magazine industry might be headed. So where do you see it going in one, five, ten years from now, any or all of those? And kind of what are some of the overarching trends that you feel this class and, and we should be aware of? Um, I think the, the magazine industry, um, especially coming out of COVID, is a lot stronger than it was than when it went into COVID. Interesting. So, so, you know, for a lot of the especially subscription model magazines all saw an increase in subscription numbers. Um, during that time because people rediscovered print because digital fatigue is a real thing. Mm. Um, you know, there's only so much time you can spend looking at your phone, your tablet, your computer screen, your TV before your eyes are like done. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like a lot of people rediscovered books and magazines, um, which is a great thing. Um, I see the magazine industry um, it's always going to be an evolving one um, because of the, the presence of, of digital media. So it's uh, every magazine out there is always working to try and find that, that balance. You know, how do we make digital media work for the foundation of the magazine? Right. And how, how do you plan to do that for Melanistic, do you think? With Melanistic? Yeah. 
Um, well, we have a, a whole um, plan where the the, the website is actually in the middle of a redesign. Um, part of our, our plan for the website is the content that's going to live on melanistmagazine.com is going to be very different from the content that's in the book. That way people have different experiences when they're reading articles online versus reading articles in the magazine. Um, and also uh, part of the goal of Melanistic is to become a training ground for um, black journalists um, here in Western Canada, um, because there is a, a shortfall deficiency um, when it comes to um, voices from the black community in media in mm. Canada. A lot of times, um, if you're from the black community, you're expected to only know how to talk about basketball or football mm. or hip hop <laughs> or urban fashion. Um, you're not given the opportunity to talk about, you know, politics or health or travel or, or any of those other topics. And so, you know, we hope to use the website as that breeding ground, that training ground to to have people one discover their how to tell their their stories in that voice. Um, and you know, once they you know capture their audience and following and if they get an opportunity to go work for Rogers or Lacordae or <laughs> one of those other big titles, at least they have something that they've started with that they can build on and move forward. I absolutely love and respect that plan because I think as as you've indicated, they're they're I think needs to be a place where um, where journalists, black journalists, can have a home base and kind of um, and, and as you said, training ground to be mm -hmm. able to learn how to tell their stories. Yeah, and 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 you know, at the end of the day, the magazine world is a business. Um, and so there are a lot of people in not just the black community, but a lot of other communities, especially younger kids, don't understand that. Um, so when you're talking about photography, you know, if I'm sending someone out on an assignment, they need to understand that this is not a vacation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're there to work. Um, and so if you're on assignment, I'm expecting to see a database of a thousand photos that I can just merely spend my night flipping through <laughs> to see to see what's up and you know if you send me 20 pictures i'm gonna be mad because <laughs> you know there is a business cost to all of these different things and so you know we get an opportunity to teach our community the business of of journalism and, and uh, being in a magazine as well fantastic fantastic all right i'm opening it up to the room all right. Any, does anyone have any questions? Any thoughts about the business of magazines? Any uh, questions specifically about Melanistic Magazine for Greg? Anything about being a publisher and what that means? Anything at all? Who's got some questions? Yeah, bring it on. Who's got some questions? All right, so the question here is from Claire. And uh, are there plans to expand the reach beyond Western, oh, beyond Canada? Western Canada? Um, yeah, so we, um, our home base is here in Edmonton. Um, we started, our first issue came out in January of 2020. Um, we're currently available in Edmonton, Red Deer, Calgary, um, Grand Prairie, 
Vancouver, Winnipeg, and at um, Ascendant Bookstores out in Brampton. So we're slowly expanding across Canada. We're not trying to do it too quickly um, because we are still only our third year. <laughs> so we want to um, really build up our Western Canada home base before taking over or in, or doing a full invasion of Eastern Canada. We've already been getting requests from Nova Scotia and those places to get magazines out there, but we're, we're just not quite there yet. Great. Thanks, Claire, for the question. Sure. I actually had another question. I thought it might be easier if I just talk. Can you hear me? Absolutely. Yeah, go, yeah, for go for it. I was just curious, like, um, what kind of issues do you run into? Like, I imagine it's just so important to have a magazine that centers Black voices. And you mentioned that the audience, um, you know, includes people beyond the Black community. And I'm wondering what kind of issues internally you guys run into, um, you know, when publishing pieces and um, like how, if, if you if you run into issues. I've asked because as a, as someone who's worked in a, like a Jewish space, sometimes mm. we, you know, just understanding that when you're trying to center a marginalized voice, but also keep it open, mm. there's a really, it can be, it can be hard. And I'm wondering if you could talk more about that. Um, yeah, actually I actually can give you a funny story around that. <laughs> um, I believe it was issue number two, um, either number two or number three. Um, yeah, I am woman, this issue here. Can you open that one for me? Yeah, this one right here. Okay, okay. so when this story came out, um, this issue, I was getting emails and calls from people in our community asking about why we have a issue dedicated to Black women that's featuring a white male. And I was confused at first because I was like, there is nothing in the magazine about white men <laughs> anywhere in the magazine. And so I was, someone had called, I was talking to them on the phone and they said, yeah, on page 34, there's this guy. And I'm like, what are they talking about? So I flipped to it. Um, this is Violet King. She is the first black um, female lawyer in Canada. Um, and this is her graduation ceremony. Uh, and in the design of the magazine, well, we decided to give context to the picture of her graduation instead of having her just her hand floating out there. We weren't expecting to get feedback from people complaining that there's an older white man in the shot of the magazine. Um, but this is kind of where you also find the boundary of we can't please everybody, right? Um, so for me, it was a little bit still funny to me to get that kind of feedback, but it also shows that our readers see this melanistic environment as a very safe space and want us to, you know, take, be mindful of what goes in here in terms of when it comes to pictures and content and even the, the type of advertising that goes in here as well. So, it, you know, it, it's funny. It was a funny story, a funny moment. Um, but then it also reminded me of the responsibility that our entire team has to keep this environment um, a certain way. Cool. Thank, thanks for sharing. Yeah. 
And thanks for being here. No, no worries. Any other questions? Any other questions? I actually have a follow-up question to um, to what you said there, uh, Greg. Yeah. You mentioned advertising and how advertising, um, you're very mindful of the types of companies perhaps that that advertise in your magazine. So does that make the challenge, the already challenging task of selling advertising more challenging? Um, yeah, it does. Um, you know, if there's a, there are certain companies that um, treat the, the black community and, and other communities as well as kind of the flavor of the month mm. where they'll only contact you for Black History Month or um, if it's a Jewish title, they'll only contact you around when they're celebrating the, when the world is talking about the Holocaust or if you're a, a Chinese title around something with uh, World uh, World War II issue that happened in China or something like that. Um, it's then trying to decipher, well, okay, are these companies just simply trying to take advantage of a, a position or do they really want to engage with your audience? You know, so then how do you, how do you handle that? How do you weed that out? Um, how do you make sure that the companies that are, advertising in here are not harmful to your belief as a magazine or to your audience. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's, and so those are, are, you know, it's, it's kind of a counterintuitive to the idea of we need revenue to publish, but also we have to make sure that we have the right type of advertisers to make sure that this environment um, that we're putting out there is authentic and works well for our readers. Right. And that word authenticity again, and making sure that you're consistent in what it, you are saying, your your brand voice, as it were. It is, you know, so like an example would be if I was doing a magazine on um, that was all about environmental activism, it would be super weird to have an oil and gas advertiser in there. <laughs> like super, super weird. <laughs> like it, you know, your your readers would revolt and they would you would lose a whole bunch of them and they'd never come back to you again. Right. So it's it's about understanding, yeah, how to toe the line between ad revenue, which you need to stay afloat, and staying true to yourself as a magazine, true to your readers and consistent in that authentic voice, ensuring that these kind of performative acts or performative companies or companies that just are not aligned with who you are as as a magazine and as a, um, a publication yeah don't make their way in exactly and then we've had um you know debates about this at, the, at melanistic for various people that have approached us for advertising and um you know if one person on our team has an objection then we just say thank you we appreciate you looking at us but not this time. Well, with that, uh, I, I want to thank you so much, Greg, for taking the time to come and chat with our class and uh, give us the all all of the information as it relates to what it means to publish a magazine and what your role is all about. And some of, again, kind of the joys and the challenges and, and everything to do with, with that. We really appreciate it. Uh, no worries. And I'll leave you guys with a little bit of like advice. Like usually um, I get asked all the time, should I start a magazine? And I always tell everyone, no, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> um, it's a very tough business to get into. 
um, before you get into trying to run one or start one, spend the time to work for one that um, is aligned with your lifestyle and your core beliefs, because it then makes it easier for you to work on publishing this information. If you believe in what you're publishing, then it, it makes your life less stressful and you enjoy what you're doing. Um, so, you know, if you're looking to get into the, the business, find a title that's established, try and get in there, um, working for them, learn about how the business works, um, and then eventually move on to, to your own your own take on on media. That is great advice. Great advice. Thank you, Greg, so much. No worries. No worries. It's always good to chat with my uh, alma mater. Yeah, I didn't mention that in the beginning. I am a Ryerson graduate. So it's good to see you guys. 